With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Searching for just the right job? Whether you're looking for full-time, part-time, or seasonal work, you can get started today. Amazon Jobs offer the whole package with great pay and flexible shifts that allow you to choose when and how much you work. Find a warehouse close to home and discover the role that works for you. To get your application started for an hourly job, go to Amazon.com apply. That's Amazon.com apply. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit ChildAndFamilyResourceNetwork.org today. Special Operations Covert Ops Espionage The Team House with your hosts, Jack Murphy and David Park. All right, here we are, guys. This is episode 92. I'm Jack Murphy here with Dave Park. This is the team house. This is uh, Jeff Miller and Nick Brockhausen on the show tonight. Uh, we had uh, Nick on the show once before. He's the author of Whispers in the Tall Grass. And we few. Uh, it was talking, episode 76. Uh, you should check it out. Good you call. Yeah, you guys should go and check it out if you haven't already. Uh, we talked about his time in Vietnam with Mac V. Sog. And now we have Nick and Jeff back on the show to talk about their uh, their friendship and their part business partnership uh, after their special forces service. And how they met their entry into the private security world, which was nothing at all like it is today. Uh, it's very different in its sort of embryonic state. And, um, and we'll start talking about some of their adventures that are in their new book called Vagabonds. Yeah, welcome, guys. Uh, we're really happy to have you. Um, one of the things that we do uh, when people come on is to ask them their origin stories, uh, like their superhero origin stories. And, Nick, even though we've had you on before, some of our viewers may not have seen that yet. So can we just really quickly get an overview of your backgrounds before you sort of came together? You know, uh, just kind of the, the... The thumbnail sketch. Yeah, yeah. This is a trick question. He didn't really exist before he met me. I didn't have a history before I met Miller. Uh, kind of, I woke up one day. He was there. Is this, um, is this like I came the, out of the special forces community? I'm a Vietnam era uh, dinosaur. Um, I 
left Vietnam. I also did serve in a number of other groups in that. After that, I, I was in Berlin with the Detachment A, and that's where I severed my ties with the military, was in Berlin. And uh, then went on to, uh, I'm out of the Army, and I'm going, well, I could be a rock star, except I can't play a guitar. Uh, or I could find some other line of work. And that's as Miller left the service like four or five months after I did, we ended up in the same place and we had this brilliant idea that we could take what we had been on the front line of, which was developing an anti-terrorist capability for, you know, uh, Dead A had one, and then Charlie came along and, and provided Delta. There was blue light in between there somewhere. But take that knowledge and apply it to the police departments. So we, their first contract was with the International Association of Chiefs of Police. That's one of the chapters. There's some very interesting characters in that chapter. And, and yeah. Jeff... Uh, what about what about you? Uh, we we know that Nick was uh, Mac V. Song, and what you know, I mean, a bit about his background. But tell us a little bit about yours, if you don't mind. Now, I'll try and keep this as short as I can. Okay, I'm done. No, be <laughs> short uh, my memory. I wanted to be a spy when I was young, so I went down and enlisted in the U.S. Army when I was 19 years old, to be a uh, area intelligence specialist. And I thought that would be a very cool career choice. And because of that, I chose that MOS. I had to get a clearance before I could even enlist. And I had to get letters of recommendation from a teacher and an employer and a friend and blah, blah, blah. And which put my enlistment off about five months from when I originally thought I was going to go in. They get down to the, what, what in those days was called the Armed Forces Anderson Examination Station in uh, Los Angeles. And I took the oath of enlistment and everything, and then I saw this E-7. I didn't know that's what it was at the time, but I thought, oh, despicable. <laughs> And he said, well, I see your, um, I think it was 96 Charlie or something like that. 97 Charlie, I don't know, it was a long time ago. Uh, it's the 29th of September today, that MOS has been filled up this month. Yeah. And I said, well, what does that mean? And he said, well, it's no big deal. He said, I just have to put you down for something else right here. And uh, when you get up to Fort Orton, just start basic, just tell them it'll be October 1st and everything will be wide open and just say you want to change. And I said, well, okay. So he put me down to be a supply clerk. Jeff, hold, hold on one second. Can we have you move, sit back a little bit? I, we're not picking you up on the audio, and I think it's just because your mic is right. Maybe. That better? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I... Um, I went to a basic training, and uh, they I got up there, and they said, uh, no matter what those assholes down at Aikens told you, whatever MOS is on your form, that's what you're going to get. You can't change now. Don't come bothering us with it. <laughs> so I went to Fort Lee, Virginia, and trained to be a supply clerk. 
And they sent me to Combat Developments Command to do my clerking, and I couldn't stand it. So one day I wandered into the Special Forces recruitment thing, and I met Sergeant Jack Davis, and he recruited me to come to group. And there's a whole story behind that that I'm not going to get into now, but I wound up there. So I went through training group as a commo man, and I graduated somehow and went to the 6th Special Forces Group, and I'd only been there for maybe six weeks. When the company sergeant major came to me, his name was Rush Tyndall, and he said, there's a VIP over at Moon Hall looking for a Special Forces NCO. Every group, at that time, the 3rd, the 7th, and the 6th were at Bragg. Every group sent in a candidate and we're sending you and you better get picked because it would be very prestigious for the group. And I said, okay, I'll do my best. So I go over there and I'm in the waiting room with an E6 from the seventh group and another E5 from the third group. And I was the second one called into the office and here's this colonel resplendent with medals and badges and shit all over his uniform. It looked like a Christmas tree. They, they come like that. Yeah, <laughs> that's why colonels are issued. But he, he, was, he was doing a project directly for the Deputy Chief of Staff of Intelligence, which at that time was a general named Meyer, and he wanted an enlisted helper. And he'd been the S2 of the 77th group when it was founded. So he wanted a special forces guy. So he says to me, Sergeant Miller, could I possibly interest you in a temporary duty assignment in military intelligence? And I said, oh, sir, do I have a story to tell you? <laughs> and I told him how I wound up there in the first place and he picked me. So I got to go off with him for a while and do secret stuff. And then later, when I was at the 10th group, I got picked for another assignment out of a group at Fort Meade, Maryland, and I just sort of backed my way into the intelligence So then, how did you two gentlemen meet later on in your careers? In court. We met at Flintlock, during a Flintlock at Echterdingen Air Force Base in Germany. And I was uh, working for Exercise Directorate Headquarters, and Nick was working as an asset. He'd come down from Berlin and was, uh, you know, deep undercover as a German, helping the A-teams get themselves situated when they jumped in. And uh, there's a whole thing that involved underage women and... Let's get into that. (laughs) (laughs) Too deeply. I'm coming in and I'm living down in an area and I've got assets that are other SF guys that are playing the part of, you know, being an OSS type. And uh, John Liner, one of them, is living in an insane asylum. That's where he's hiding the A-team. And the 82nd is looking everywhere, but they can't get inside to check the, uh, the, the room, the rooms. So I have to go back up to Echterdingen to report to my case officer at that time with uh, Richie Herbert. 
And I'm driving in the back gate. I mean, uh, EDH, when Flintlock's going on, there's, it's like Tent City. They've got this group over here, and they've got people that are playing the part of, uh, of the opposition force. You know, it might be a, you know, an infantry unit that protects a Hawk missile battery. So they're all housed there, and they're going out doing different things. I'm coming in the back gate. And when I come in the back gate, Ectordingen uh, is an Air Force base. So the, uh, the unit patch for the command is some kind of huge insect eating a mix. And, it's, and the, the colonel's wife had the emblem done on the side of this dirt burn in flowers. And it was like for us. And so I'm driving down in my Mercedes, come down and I see these lights, backup lights, coming down the road at a high rate of speed. And off in the distance, I could see blue lights, obviously the MPs, but maybe a mile and a half, two miles off. And this staff car shoots past me on the cross street net, goes up the embankment, does a, a donut and a half through the flowers. And then engine dies, it slides down to the bottom of the hill. The driver's door open, and that's him right there. The only thing you can say is, you need to help me get out of here. <laughs> there was also a young lady involved uh, that was there with him. But that's how I met him. There he was, in all his glory. It sort of sounds like it, it was a portent, right? It, it, was, uh, it was a sign of things to come. Yeah, you yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely uh, the medics have seen a poor ten. It only got weird from there. Yeah. So for yeah. just just kind of a brief overview, because people might be curious, like what is a footlock? How is it set up? Um, they still have it. Yeah, yeah. right. They, they, right. It's in North Africa now, but yeah. you know, but it, it used to be in Western Europe. In, in those days, it was basically the special operations portion of reforger. It was done separately, but it was part of the whole reforger system that, you know, the Soviets came through the Folder Gap, and then uh, we, they had to deploy forces from the states, and then all this SF units that were assigned to that area would infiltrate behind the Russian lines to screw up their communications and logistics, and it was practice for that, basically. Right. And you would have actual, like, U.S. Army military personnel or German and German military military personnel acting as the aggressors, the Russians, you know, and the, the whole scenario is played out. That the cops were against you, the you know the Forstmeisters were against you, and everybody was out there trying to find you and stitch you out to somebody. Well, luckily the mental they asylum ran like E, e and E networks, escape and evasion. Yeah, which you know we get pilots off the carriers as the as the pickle. And they'd put him in somewhere on some deserted beach in Italy and get picked up by gorillas and taken to a safe house. And he's moving up to the, you know, the safe house system that, that we had set up, which was what you would do in a, in a war. Right. You'd have safe houses, transportation cells, all that. I had an entire safe house system that was made up of ex-SS members. Wow. <laughs> really? Yeah. They were great. And the pilots we put through there, they all said, hey, we want to go to Nick's area. Yeah. So then half, half of them were old castles. 
there was very, very large, uh, what they call a Vodine, uh, veterans organization from both from the Wehrmacht and the SS that, that had property all the way up and down Europe. I could move somebody from the toe of Italy all the way to the Baltic Sea. Yeah. And, and you did this as a, after military service. You were contracting for the military? No, no, no. no. You asked how we met. We were still in when we met. Okay, so you're both still in. Okay, I got you. So this was a this was a detail. Okay. School. I look at the army as a fourteen years college. So very interesting skills that I went out and wasted on this. Oh yeah. No, you got myself in trouble. Let me show you how to use that trite rep, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, you you guys depart the military. The security, or, or I should say, the security contractor in air quotes uh, world was very different. What year was this? And, and everyone who's a little younger, keep in mind, there's no such thing as Blackwater at the time. There's no such thing as corporate security, really. It's a, just a very different world that you two had stepped into. It was 1982. 1982. And there was nothing. There was, nothing. There was two types of security. Yeah, Renaissance. With Wells Fargo, Hut, those people who just get California, California plant protection and that. And then there was the creme de la creme, which were all ex-FBI. Coal Associates existed, but it was brand new. It was brand new. But they were normally, you know, like corporate security chiefs and that. And the rest of the industry just wasn't there. Nothing was there. Right. And, and they, I'm sorry, I was just going to say, in the FBI, like those professionals, they were more focused on sort of more like an investigative type of protective service. Yeah, they were looking for stuff they could lie about. <laughs> Damn feds! Yeah, they're looking for um, you know employees smoking drugs at work, or yeah. you know pilfering from the warehouse and stuff like that, or out yeah. and out theft. I mean, they were you know, all the big uh, mining companies, oil companies, uh, gas companies, uh, manufacturers like Fordnet all had a security, uh, you know, the head of the security department, director of security. And invariably, they were usually an ex-speed. Mm. And then, then Azes came along, mm. and they started doing a, I forget what they call it, CCPPPP. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it's, degree, it's like a master's degree, in, you know, yeah. seven languages, it's and they give you a banana and a monkey. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But they... Gradually, those people with those degrees, and there was a lot of guys that would that had the pedigree, that also went and got the degree because that became the rubber stamp. Mm-hmm. You got that degree. You got the CPPPPPPP. Uh, yeah, I got it. Yeah, right here. I got it this morning. But the first private military contractor was started in Texas in about 1984. Jeff, can you? We're, we're losing you. Can you center up? Who? Oh, Jeff. Yeah. Which one do we got to move? Oh, it's amazing. I only have to move an inch in it. There you go. I, better? Yeah. Yes, sir. So, so you were saying the first private military. The first private military contract that I ever heard of or was aware of was a company called Military Professional Resources Incorporated. MPRI. Mm-hmm. And it was started in Texas in about 1984, 85, I believe. So we'd already been out for like three years. And it never really went anywhere. 
It was started by some retired general. I used to know his name, but we had a good friend that had worked in the White House named Rita Lund, and he actually recruited <laughs> her to run the administration of that company, but she didn't want to do it. That's how I found out about it. And then DynCorp was formed out of Dyn Electron Corporation. And we actually helped them do that without even realizing, you know, they, we, we were so naive in those days. They come to one of our training things and said, hey, would you guys like to come down and talk to us about training at our headquarters on the Dolly Madison Parkway in uh, uh, McLean, Virginia, and he said, "Oh, more than happy." So we went to the boardroom and told them everything we knew. Yeah, oh, yeah, that was a good move. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably one of our best. We were not yeah. businessmen. Sure. You guys drive a hard bargain. Came along with his huge uh, inheritance from his father and became black water or something. Like yeah, sorry. Not signing, making the microphone. Maybe I need to lean closer to you. How's that? It's it's a good photo, if nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's that that community that industry grew up. It, it started in its most nascent form, maybe three years after we got, we started, and and really hit its stride fifteen years after we started. Yeah, and that's when everybody got really rich. Um. Everybody but us. So you, book. You you enter you enter into this world where there are there's no um, scaffolding for career progression. You're sort of kind. You're kind of having to make your own job, find your own work, go out there and really we, hustle. We were for out it. there trying to look for situations that we thought we had solutions for that we could bullshit somebody into paying us for. <laughs> That that was the yeah, price right. of the business. Pretty we knew we could like do it, and uh, you know, and just go out and go, "Hey, you know your grandfather that got kidnapped yesterday? We think we can get him back. Man, <laughs> we can get the money back after you collect it from the insurance company." So, it, is that? Go ahead, Jack. Uh, I was just going to say, so that these are the stories that are in your new book, Vagabonds, that's coming out uh, later this month. Um, the 28th or the 31st, somewhere in between there. We discovered today it's available on Kindle right it, now. It is um, available on Kindle right now. Out on Amazon. If you want to go and check it out, you don't have to wait. Um, so could you start off telling us about some of these stories about how you mentioned the kidnapping, the kidnapping for ransom and the rescue missions. How did you guys get wound up in that? Like everything else in life, we backed into it. Um we were doing something else. Yeah. And, you know, I was, I was uh, in the Mexican ones. I was uh, actually training bodyguards down in Mexico while we were yeah, together. And then I went looking for an armored car manufacturer that wasn't U.S. Because at that time, was it Gerhard Stress or O'Hess or something? Uh, O'Hara. Oh yeah, uh, O'Hara, something in Eisenhower. Yeah, something. They were the only provider for armored cars, and there was a couple other places, a little shoestring outfit down in Texas or Florida. But they had no such thing as customer service. Once you bought an armored car from them, you were stuck with it. If the windows don't work, any of that happens, you couldn't get it. So I went looking for a Mexican manufacturer 
that made armored cars and that started our relationship with our business partner in, in Mexico, Carlos. And, uh, you know, he's, he's been in the armoring business for 35 years. And uh, from that, I started getting requests from his clients because who buys armored cars? Rich people. Uh -huh. Who gets kidnapped? Rich people. So the, the first first one I did, I, you know, basically it, it was a investigation working with the state police. And then we came up with a special technology. We could mark the money. It was odorless, colorless, tasteless. Pretty much like our dates up until 35. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it worked real good. We did a couple of cases down there, got the, got the people back. It's one of the chapters of the book. Two chapters. Two of them. Yeah. And another two chapters is a lot of these things just happened. We didn't even go looking for them. We had a friend uh, who was oh a reporter and a writer. Wrote some book. He was writing a book on satanic cults. Actually, and it, you know, it got published and it was on the market. You can find it out there. It's called Other Altars. Um, but we were helping him do some investigations. He, he was married to a shrink, uh, a, treated, a therapist. Yeah, therapist. Mm -hmm. Treated yeah. some of these women. Thank who you, Nick. Been abused by the cults or whatever. Uh -huh. break in with the anyway, we, we got ourselves sort of submerged in that for a little while. Into Satanism? Like Nick was like, sign me up? Yeah. Well, <laughs> oh, no. Hey, it was pretty straightforward. We were, you know, like this, we had this one that, that the therapist said that this woman was being picked up by a black van every night by two large... Hispanic gentleman who used to go out and do bad sexual things to her for hours, bring her back to her house. So we're, you know, we listen to these stories. And that. So before we agree to do the job, we go out and stake the place out. We're there all night. Never saw it. We, we didn't even see an alley cat. And by the time we get back in the morning, it happened last night. There was four of them this time. Yeah. Same black man. Yeah, okay. Well, she's lonely too. <laughs> then, then they came up with the story that there were children being sacrificed yeah. in Arizona. <laughs> and uh, Miller went undercover by borrowing a friend of his stroker. Oh, man, it was a ni nice, nice ride. <laughs> right? So he's over there as a biker. And I got a beat-up pickup truck with a Stetson I bought out of a hand store that had, came complete with sweat stains. <laughs> nice. So I'm I'm rednecking it. He's hanging out at the biker bar and that, and they they want us to go pick up their contact at the airport. Well, what is your who is the contact? Well, she's three hundred pounds, and you won't be she won't be hard to find. And Millie goes, why? Well, she has smeared herself with goat excrement. Protect yourself from Satan. And she had. She had. She was not hard to pick up at all. But, you know, things like that where you, you know, the, you're you looking at it, please don't give me any money. I'm embarrassed to take any money. So did this. You are so loony. You should use that money to go buy yourself some good drugs. We, we need to hear who gave her a ride back from the airport. Does she ride on the back of the motorcycle or does she, she ride? Did, in, oh, no, 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 no. In the bed of the no, pickup? No. 
He was in the back of the bale of hay. <laughs> With yeah. your luggage. That's the only place you fit. <laughs> anyway, let's get the cab with it. The yeah. same guy that got us that fantastic deal calls and says he he knows some private eye that he'd been working with up in Northern California on the on the Satan stuff knew a family in Minnesota whose daughter's kids were kidnapped and taken out of the country. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill do we think we could do anything about it well of course we We can one last thing we you know that's the sort of thing we do all the time so we wound up uh, and this is two chapters in the book the first chapter is called tiny hostages in the Maghreb and the second chapter is called Running for Our Lives Across the Rim of Africa. But so it should give you a pretty good idea. It's self-explanatory there. Uh, but that, was a, that started doing a bunch of parental kidnappings usually by men from the worst countries in the world. We did Iraq, we did Saudi Arabia, we did um, Guatemala, Sudan, Mexico, you know. Uh, and the first one was Algeria. That's the one that's in the book. We didn't do any of the other stories in this book. Maybe if we do a sequel, we'll put a couple more child kidnapping cases could, in there. Could Maybe you, during the trial, more details. Yeah. Could, could you walk us... <laughs> Could, could you walk us through one of those uh, instances? Like, I- I'm very curious. I think other people will be as well. Like, how do you begin that process of, you know, finding the kid first and then coming up with a plan? You have to, you know, re-kidnap them, I imagine. Um, well, to bring- exactly what First thing you do is find the money and get your hands on it. Yeah. Now, because when they get their victim back, they get amnesia. So yeah. get all the money up front. Yes. Like, did, you get, um, did you learn like that the hard Cosmo way? Cosmo always used to say, Cosmo is a character in the book that's obviously a pseudonym. You got to get the money while their eyes are still wet. Because otherwise, you're never going to get it. Yeah. But, yeah, the, 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 the process, well, it's never the same twice. I mean, but the story's always the same. And here's the story. Because I got a little bit known for this because... I went on the Maury Povich show and I got on the front page of all the Knight Ritter newspapers. And but they did dye his hair black so he would be camouflaged. A reddish brown. But anyway, that's, 
the, the story I started to hear over and over and over. Are you the guy that can get children back from overseas? Uh, yeah. Well, my husband from pick the shittiest country in the world. We got divorced and he took my son or my daughter or my son and daughter, whatever the case may be, back to his home in Chad or Upper Volta or some goddamn horrible place. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. And I've spent every penny I ever had on lawyers trying to get my kids back, and none of them have been able to do anything for me, so I was wondering what you might be able to do. To which I would answer, well, if you've spent every penny you ever had, nothing. Because <laughs> it's not cheap. Not even a hearty high silver. You got to, yeah. the, the cheapest one we ever did was in Mexico, and it was about $37,500, which was super cheap because most of the ones in the Middle East and that were up in the $180,000 to $250,000 wow. range. It's just what it costs. Right. And those are, are those just your expenses before you even yeah. uh, we, work? In we would pay ourselves $2,500 a month while we were doing it. That's all. Yeah, no, and you know we we were not well, getting we rich. All our people really good. We did our people good. They mostly got paid by the day because yeah. they would usually, after we did all the prep work and all the recon and all that, they would just come in for the actual counter kidnapping things. But we're losing you, Jeff. But I, I just can't lean for some reason. I just can't lean forward. It's your beard. It must be. I'm yeah. into my so, so you guys, when you say counter kidnapping, so what? So you obviously had people that you would bring in to help you with this process at some point. How would this work? Would the law enforcement in these countries help you? Would the State Department help you? Were you totally like, uh, you know? Oh yes, they're all very cooperative. That's what I thought. <laughs> you couldn't believe how much cooperative. That's exactly That's, what I thought. <laughs> a State Department won't do anything. Uh, the only thing you can get out of the State Department is the address of the nearest gay bar. <laughs> yeah. All right. If you're lucky, a mimeograph sheet of, of local lawyers that you might want to talk These to. These guys here can get you, can represent you in court. And the local police are trying to arrest you. Usually, you know, you're like in Mexico. Um, well, Mexico well, is a little different. Here's, here's how you do it, guys. Got a problem? Who can help you solve that problem? If you can't trust the police and the local police, who do you go to? They can provide you with assets so you can actually plan an operation to recover the victims back to the safety of their, their loved ones. In the case in Mexico, 
we're really, really fortunate because the level that I was getting my customers from were the people that bought 15, 20 armored cars a year for a couple hundred thousand each for their executives and their families. And that's so that as the targets of the kidnappings went up, like when we first started, the average kidnapping ransom in Mexico was about 30 grand. That, that's it. And, and now it's 30 million. Or, you know, when they, when they took, uh, what was the, the big banker, they took him down for 40 million. And, uh, and those cases are very structured. In Mexico, you're going to be kidnapped for about 40 days as a victim. You're going to be kidnapped and they're going to send a certain, you know, dance at the court to the thing. It's, uh, you get a message, we've got your loved one, here's what we want you to do, and it'll give you an idea of the depth of the industry. There's, at that time, there were 2,500 kidnapping gangs just in Mexico City. Wow. And the and unit that we eventually got lined up with was um, uh, an outfit that came out of uh, the state of Mexico, which is uh, Texcoco up on the edge of the lake where the old dry lake is. And that, and they, they were appointed by the governor. The head of that outfit was a former uh, cardiac surgeon, uh, actually. And they were really good, really good. In cases like, you know, Chechnya or, or, or uh, in Algeria or someplace like that, you, you've got to find the people that can help you achieve what you need to get done. And they can cover your ass at the same time. Right. So you might have pickings from both. And sometimes it's the underwater. Most of the time. More more often than not. For some guys, we missed you, Jeff. For some guys, it's what? The underworld. Yeah, the underworld. The mob, the gangster community. The Corsican mob. The Union Court. And the way, never went back on the word, delivered on time, and didn't bitch about anything. I, I imagine that in some like like you said, it really differs country by country because in a lot of Islamic countries, the the father has the rights to the child in their view. So, oh, oh, so hundred percent. Yeah. So you're not going to yeah. get any help from the government because in their view, it's he's one hundred percent within his right to do what he did. And they were the kidnapper. Well, in the book, there's a little phone call I got from the State Department at the beginning of the chapter, Tiny Hostages in the Maghreb. They actually called me on the phone, and it was one of the most interesting telephone calls I've ever had in my life. Because I'm just hanging around, and the phone on the kitchen wall rings. Remember when we used to have phones on the kitchen wall? How long ago this one? And his voice says, is this... Jeffrey Miller, you know, this like professional radio timber baritone. <laughs> and I said, yeah. Have you been to Algeria recently? And I'm like, yeah, well, apparently you know I have, or you wouldn't be called. <laughs> He's like, well, uh, Mr. Miller, uh, are you aware that uh, the Algerians are very upset? And they have issued a warrant for your arrest for kidnapping and forwarded to Interpol and uh, issued a red notice. And I said, oh, really? Well, what does that mean? 
And he's like, that means you're going to have to be very careful with your international travel. Don't go anywhere that we can't protect you. <laughs> and I said, I didn't really think there was anywhere I could go that you would protect me. Better luck at the Ukrainian embassy. You need to take this seriously, Mr. Miller. And then here's what he said. He said, there may be some people here who would applaud what you did. There may be some people here who would think what you did was heroic. But officially, the U.S. State Department deplores these kinds of activities by private citizens. So just watch your step. <laughs> and I said, well, okay, I'll watch my step. And then I went to Guatemala and did another one. <laughs> so what happened with the Interpol thing? Because obviously, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a huge uh, thing. Nick knew a guy. I didn't take care of anything. I, I, during that, I was on meds. Dr. Mayne had a relapse of malaria it, and dengue fever. It just somehow it, wasn't in the fire. It wasn't a necessity for it to stick around. You know, <laughs> save a tree. Get rid of the paperwork. The, the file, the paperwork got lost in transit. Uh, yes, and, it was, uh, got lost somewhere. Yeah. It was, it was two years later. That thing hung over my head for two years. So when so for your first, like for your, because uh, Nick, you were used to, you know, you were working out of debt A, so you were used to doing everything in a, in a very clandestine manner and whatnot. When you went into Algeria, did you guys try to figure out, well, should we go in true name? Should we fly right into Algeria? Should we cross the border from Morocco? Like, how, how do we do this? We were trying to get two young guys to do it instead of us. <laughs> I mean, that was a perfect cover. We'll be in Homa, Mallorca, and this is our cell phone, our satellite phone number. Call us. And how'd that yeah, work out? We, we went in under our own names. And, and remember, you got cover for action and cover for purpose. We were, we were you should not forget. We were archaeologists. We were looking at Carthaginian ruins. So we went to Tunisia, and then we went to Algeria, as, and we had fully backstopped university credentials as archaeologists. And I can speak archaeology. That's amazing. Especially Roman, you know, Aphrodite. And it's not so easy. What people don't realize when they come out of the service is how dependent you are on Uncle Sam's monstrous logistics capability. Right, yeah. When do you have to get everything yourself? And it costs a lot of money. We blew $50,000 on a ship that we never wound up getting to use on the Algeria thing. And they wouldn't give us our money back. And the guy hanged himself. Well, you know, and the, the guys from Corsica were involved. And it was an honor thing. And the ship burned to the waterline and unfortunately hung himself. In Jesus Christ. It's in the book. You know, um, it, for the people who aren't familiar with some of the vocabulary, when they say that their credentials were fully backstopped, that means that somebody could call the university. They could look. Well, they didn't have websites at the time. But they could call the university. They could do research and... Yeah, th these guys are legitimately tied. When, when, when you paper yourself, you're papering yourself for action. Yeah. What are the chances somebody's going to call? If they call, what kind of uh, what kind of questions are they going to have? And who needs to answer that phone? So it helps a lot when the dean of that particular work, um, institution was in Mac B. Sog. 
Hey, you know, I noticed something. My head is looking kind of odd shaped. And I know it's not that way because it's round. But it's kind of like flat on one side. Is that the lighting? I know your head's flat on one side. You think so? It's uh, a little asymmetric. It, it looks pretty symmetric to me, but, you know, not as symmetric as mine. It looks okay. But it's close. Don't, you're, you're beautiful, Nick. Don't worry. Don't worry. Yeah, sure. So, so you guys decided to fly in true name into country. Did you already know the location? Like, did the wife know where the husband, the ex-husband took them? Uh, the, for a kid case, the standard is in those days. And remember, this was a long time ago when money was worth way more than it's worth now. Back in the 1980s and early 90s. $25,000 flat fee for a recut. And it's non-refundable. And we come back and we'll tell you if we can do it, how we can do it, and how much it will cost. And if you don't want to pay, first off, if we say it can't be done, we've never said that, but it certainly could happen. Oh, and then we say, this is how much it's going to cost. And if you think that's more than you can afford, ooh, there was one return. You, you said Lebanese? Uh, uh, somebody they wanted to get out of the predicament he was in. It wasn't a good good situation. Oh, yeah, that wasn't a kid, though. Yeah. But because what people don't understand is, until you've been on the ground and seen what the exact situation is, there's no way you can come up with a number. No. You have no idea what assets you're going to mm -hmm. require, what kind of personnel you're going to have to hire. And it's very expensive to tell people, if you're running from the police in a country and you sneak across an international border with forged paperwork, you're going to go to the airport and a couple of little kids in tow right. that you didn't have when you arrived. You're going to go to the airport and you're going to pay cash for the first ticket on the first plane going anywhere. Right. And I don't care how much it costs. And now it's like, these, these people are like, well, can't you book in advance and get the super saver? <laughs> no, you we do that all the time. Plus, they're going in. Going in, yeah, but not coming out. Yeah, I, I got to ask Jeff, like, how do you, as, you know, going into a country like that, get these the kid back and you also i mean they've never seen you before i mean how do how do you they even their mother with us oh you did okay well, well, yeah. the mother was right there right mm -hmm. there in the alley in the car take the mother with you always in fact that started the shitstorm was because some arabs mm -hmm. were sitting in the back of the car without a male with her and started giving her a ration of crap yeah then the ninja <laughs> leaped off the wall, yeah, right there. Leaped off the wall with what with this Russian shock baton. It looks like a billy club from the turn of the century. It's electric, shoots lightning bolts out of the side of it, turn it on, cackle. Jumps down, lands on the hood of the car, and when he did, he turned it on and he hit his right leg. Paralyzed his right leg. Wait, 
Jeff, you oh Jeff, you're breaking up, but Jeff, you hit your own right leg with your shock baton. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Basically with a cattle prize. It was like Chester on, on Gunsville. And I'm trying to chase these three Arabs down the street. Well, I'm dragging my right leg behind. Wait, me. wait, the master isn't up yet. Come back. <laughs> Yeah, well, it never runs like you see it. No. Right. Yeah. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, the two guys that were supposed to subdue the, uh, the husband were so excited they jammed the hypodermic in his buttocks and broke it off. Jesus. So half a dosage. So he managed to stumble out of the house and down the street to the police pillbox where they were hiding because they heard all this rocket. Well, there was a revolution. Yeah, going on. Yeah. So the gendarmerie are barricaded in their little thing and he's pounding on their door and he's slurring his words. Uh, so half the dose of. PCP or whatever it is, because <laughs> the needle broke down. Like, Giant ninjas stole my children. Come out! And they're like, get away from here, or we'll shoot through the door. It gave us an extra like eight hours head start. So, so during your operational planning, the idea came up. That, that whomever you were working with, whomever you guys had hired, had access to some sort of drug that they were and needles, and they were going to jab this guy, sedate him, so that you could nap the kids and get out, and he'd be out. Actually, it never really came up in the operational planning. The guy was a special forces captain uh, and came up with that completely on his own. I didn't know he was going to do it until, it, until the needle came out. I got some nutrients. You know. We'll give them an end of all. I got this from my cousin, uh, EMT in New Orleans. It's good stuff. <laughs> hey, hey, whatever. Nick, we can't. We can't hear you. What'd you say? Uh, I said it's it's like getting a gamma globin shot. Yeah, you know, it's like a <laughs> tennis ball underneath your skin. Yeah, on the, on the ones that we did. Uh, in, in uh, the Middle East, we actually, well, in we actually used a friendly isotope. That's how we tracked. It was different than the ones in, in, in Mexico because usually the, the client was a member of the family and the family's paying for it. And you have to follow very strict rules because under the Mexican criminal code, if you're involved in the recovery of a kidnapped victim and you're not working with the police, you can be arrested as a co-conspirator Wow, and a co, you know, a, a, a defendant as uh, one of the kidnapping, and the the one in Chechnya was totally different. It was a rich industrialist, and uh, we actually used a friendly isotope that we got from the Russians. He, he had a heart medicine that he had to take, and the only way, only place to get it was like in two pharmaceutical outlets within, you know, a hundred miles, and so. So they broke in and dosed all the medicine that was there. And eventually he got some of it. And then they used just like uh, a nuclear emergency search teams in a helicopter. They got detected. They just flew over the area until they got a hotspot. Holy shit. Wow. And that's how we found it. 
Who, who, who had the helicopter yeah. in Chechnya? Who did you guys, like, if, if you don't mind talking about it, like, who did you... We, we rented it. We rented it. We also rented a whole bunch of burlies to go in and make the raid. It was this in Grozny? No, uh, it was in, in the mountains west of there. Okay. The, 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 the guy tried to do an oil deal uh -huh. with the Chechens. And of course, the Chechens, when, when Stalin captured the place, he took every rat, man, woman, child, dog, cow, and everything, put them on trains and shipped them to Siberia until the chain train ended and then gave them shovels and told them, get busy. And between that time and I think it was 1934 and uh, the collapse after World War II, the Chechens came back and settled back in their own country. They're, they're strange and they're, they're, their entire history is a brigandy. And all the way back to the czars. The czars used to send the Cossacks in there every once in a while to clean the place up. So it's a uh, but, you know, the guy thought he could do business with these people, and he ended up suffering for it for 18 months. Wow. So you dosed his heart medication, found him using a isotope that wouldn't kill him with a nuclear search team, and then you hired a bunch of thugs to go in there and pull him out of there, is what Not you exactly did. Thugs. They, were, they were members of the military. <laughs> you hired the Russian military to go into a raid against well, this guy. There was a, there were a private security company that came with equipment that looked amazingly like Russian. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> and right. The technical aspect here that my lawyers say I have to bring up in the conversation. It, it, they may have been military, but if they were, they had a part-time job. I mean, who does it? They were right? moonlighting. Yeah, well, you know, the, 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 the guy, they, they paid $30 million for this guy. <sighs> wow. We God had, damn. We had another trick on the other, which helped immensely. That everybody that touched the ransom money by 36 hours later, they were with their makers. Wow. Uh, that was the Russians' idea. I mean, they're very clever people and very creative. Yeah. That, uh, I mean, that sounds like a, that's a GRU tactic, I believe, that they would even like deliver letters to Chechen rebels. They'd open up the letter and then the rebel leader's dead 24 hours later. I mean, I've, so I've read. Bulgarians are famous for that. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the famous, uh, you know, uh, Rice umbrella and, yeah. gun, yeah. the chap yeah. pellet, the guy's leg in there. Rice, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Interesting stuff. Yeah, I used to kill trout with it. Rona, big rona, throw it in the, throw it in the water, kills all the fish, stuns them. Just go down and pick them up like a. It's nice to be in the daisies. And then, so the game warden sees you. And then how did they taste like, afterwards? Well, these fish are stunned. I'm bringing them to shore to give them artificial respiration. <laughs> Holy shit. So how, when you guys <laughs> would go into a country to do, was part of your recon that 25? You guns into a country. No guns. No, no guns. Yeah, very, very, very rarely. And if you are going to have one, you, you get it there. You can't be running around. Get it there and get rid of it. If you have yeah. To use it. But when Here's you, what people don't understand. Yeah. Homicide will follow you for the rest of your life. And I don't care. And nobody will feel good about hiding you from it. Right. So we we go and, and I've gotten I've gotten backlash from this from other SF guys too. Like 
for go back to Algeria, right? We took the mother with us. We were helping her get her kids. Mm-hmm. That's all, Your Honor. If there's a dead cop involved in this right. scenario, that ain't going to work. Right. right. So now right. you're looking instead of maybe a good international lawyer getting you out of the Puskow in six months to a year to never coming home. Right, right. And it's a big difference. That's one thing Hollywood, people just kill people with impunity in all these movies and leave the body like nobody's ever had noticed it was there, you know? Right. It doesn't work that way. Not at all. So when you guys would go into a country, did you generally have, because of your previous work, have contacts in that country or know somebody who might know somebody? Or were there times when you got on the ground and sort of had to develop your own contacts, find the underworld if that's what it took? You know, sort yes. of. Yeah, yeah both. So, I mean, obviously, you're better off to have Right. Um, sometimes they're quite limited and you still got to do a lot of uh, stuff on your own. Uh, sometimes you don't have anything. Or, like how you met, what was Cut Cut Thumb, uh, the guy who... Uh, Cut Finger Joe. Cut Finger Joe. Looked just like... Uh, Paul Newman. Paul Newman, yeah. Blue Eyes. From the Union Course. Yeah. Allegedly, the mastermind of both the most profitable kidnapping and the largest bank robbery in the history of the world. Really? Nice guy. That's yeah, a really helpful tip. Like if if you cut the finger off for identification, don't send it by regular mail. Why? Send it, by- send it because twenty eight days later, when they get the rotting tissue, to them, <laughs> right. you can't get a print off. It. Right. That's good practical advice, Nick. Yeah, that's news you can use. You know. Yeah, we thought so. So yeah. use FedEx or UPS or DHL, DHL, yeah. DHL, not the yeah. postal system. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. DHL. DHL, yeah. Uh, gents, I want to ask you about Africa, Bosnia, Mexico. Just real quick plug first for the people who are out there watching us tonight. Uh, make sure that you pick up Nick and Jeff's new book, Vagabonds. Uh, that's what we're here discussing right now. It's all the adventures and misadventures that they had after their military service. Um, you can get it on Kindle right now. The um, hardback book will be out later this month. Uh, I also want to remind you guys about Jeff Miller's whiskey company, Toxic Masculinity. Go ahead, show off a bottle there, Jeff. There you go. Uh, raise it up a little bit. There yeah. you go. Perfect. Uh, I ordered two bottles uh, that got shipped out today. It's for our episode 100 party, so we'll be drinking some of uh, uh, toxic masculinity ourselves. And uh, I want to remind people to go check out our Instagram page for the Team House. I want to remind you guys to subscribe to the channel if you haven't. Uh, take a look down in the Patreon link down in the description if you want to support the channel. And I also want to let everyone know that uh, another endeavor I have going called Civ Group, uh, C-I-V-G-R-P.com, if you want to check it out. We're doing uh, weekend classes and a training exercise. It's sort of a fantasy camp if you ever wondered what it would be like to be a spy or a commando. So check that out. Uh, we got a class going in June. And uh, also, uh, in addition to their book, which you can get on Kindle right now, and it'll be released uh, in the paperback or hardback sometime in the near future. I think you can pre-order it on Amazon, which is called Vagabonds. Uh, you can also check out uh, uh, Nick's other two books, 
Whispers in Tall Grass, and We Few. Both of them are great awesome. books about his time in, in Mac V. Sog and, and in Vietnam. Um, was, was there any point, Jeff, when, like, so you went from sort of a training company in a way, and then evolved yeah. into people asking you to, first you went through the whole satanic craze, which the 80s, everything was about Satanism. There were all the news stories about, you know, um, you know, satanic kidnapping. Dungeons and, and Dragons is making my kid worship Satan. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All the talk shows. And I mean, I, you know, I played Dungeons and Dragons, which was directly related to Satanism, according to everybody. But, but it was, but then you guys actually got into legit kidnapping, which in the United States, a lot of times is, you know, fathers or taking the, their children back home. Was there a time when it was, it, initially, was it surreal at all? Like, are we really doing this? Like, are we going to infiltrate into Algeria and find a way to grab these kids and bring them back home? I don't know if surreal would be. There's a couple of things that happened that were kind of surreal, but not generally. Now it's because you're so focused on mission mm. accomplishment. Right. You know, you got to be really focused. Um, and I've, I've had... Guys that we hired break down and um, just not be able to handle that sort of thing, which I found amazing because some of them came with good resumes. Right. Is this yours or mine? Um, but yeah, the I, I, I always. It's funny because every mission I ever went on, I almost knew from the beginning whether it was going to be good or not. You know what I mean? I, and I don't know why. It was just like, I'm bulletproof on this one. I'm on a mission from God. Nothing can stop. You know? <laughs> yeah. And then another one would be like, no, nah, man, this just doesn't feel right. I'm not sure this is going to work. Although our, our success ratio on kidnappings was probably 90% or better. Just we, incredible. Had, we, had, we had one really spectacular failure that I'm saving for the next book because it was really interesting. There was a lot of really strange players in it. I'll give you one little tiny. Sure. We were at the mother's house in Florida, great big mansion right on a canal and, you know, down the street from the Trumps or something. Very, very wealthy family. Very wealthy family. So we're there and we're talking to her about what's going on and her kids have been taken down to Latin America and her husband is a billionaire and he flies around on his own jet and everything. So it's complicated from the very beginning. Right. Yeah. So we meet this old, this old guy is there at her kitchen table, right? Really nice, really nice old, you know, balding, tall, but kind of stooped over, very old worldy like manners you know and his name's ira and he's down from new york so we say to ira uh, what 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 brings you here ira he goes well i'm uh, i'm her accountant the mother's accountant right? and we're like oh so you're a cpa i have a very limited practice i i do this as a favor because uh, she's a relative of mine 
but I only have one family in New York that I work for and do all the accounting for. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Well, it's like a really wealthy family. He goes, well, it's the Gambino family. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> That's a pretty good <laughs> Yeah. Hey, I, all I, right. I, I'm surprised that having a relative that worked for the Gambino fa- family that she um that she had, didn't have other resources to help her with her kidnapping issue. Oh come on. Well, the Italians are smart enough not to touch anything like that. <laughs> her, her ex-husband had all the same resources and a lot more. Right. It was there was there a common sort of economic status amongst these men that would take their, you know, that would take their children back to their home country, or did it vary? There was a common economic status among the ones that could afford to hire us, but we heard all kinds of sob stories from people, you know, uh, and sometimes you get lucky, like we had this one, uh, there was a, uh, actually a Mexican mother, and uh, she married a Kurd from Erbil, which was an exciting one. Although we never wound up having to do any of the heavy lifting on that because I, I Shanghai Dewey into doing it. <laughs> he had all the right connections, so all we wound up doing was going to the Turkey Iraq border and waiting mm-hmm. for the kid to be delivered. But uh, she only had the opportunity to do it because after this all happened, she wound up marrying her divorce lawyer, and he financed it. You know, the Algerian, uh, the family owned an advertising agency, so they had some money to do it. And obviously, the one down in Latin America, they were, God knows how filthy rich they were. One owned the paper company. Yeah. One owned. Uh, and then you hear all these stories from a woman that's a waitress at a Moroccan restaurant. Uh-huh. Boyfriend, living, baby daddy's got the kid in. We're losing. She makes $8 an hour. And there's just no way. You just, I mean, you, you feel bad. Right, right, right. You know, right. I, I would love to have been for, there were a few years there where I would love to have been a, a charity that I could have just taken these cases and gone and done them. But these, the, there's a lot, there were a lot of sob stories that we had absolutely no way that we could help because there was just no resources whatsoever. Yeah, Jeff. they didn't have Indiegogo at the time where they could, you know, <laughs> get the resources to crowdfund it. And, uh, you know, but yeah, so I mean, that must have been hard or maybe it wasn't. But was it hard for you guys on some level at times to listen to these stories? And if they didn't have the resources, I mean, you guys can't do this out of your pocket. So if they didn't have the resources, was it tough to listen to their story and not be able to do anything? I've been married three times. I listened to every sob story you can possibly imagine. It had no effect on you. You just, you just can't live. Right. You know, right. It would drive you crazy. Right. Right. Because there's, there's, there's just a way. I mean, we weren't making a lot of money at that. Right. But we couldn't do it for free either. Right. Man, yeah. The Algerian one cost, the Algerian one. Tony cost a hundred cost the family one hundred eighty five thousand dollars. Right, 
you know, and if you don't have that, um, what yeah. are you going to do? There right. are plane tickets to buy, there's cars to rent, there's boats to rent, there's people to pay, there's hotel rooms. There, I mean, there are Corsican mob guys to. There's Corsican. Actually, they never really asked for any money. Really, they were very. There's a guy in the book. He's called Carlos. That's obviously not his real name, but he was one of the greatest guys that we ever met. One of the from Marseille, great big hulking, kind of crazy dude. He looks like, like that guy that used to be on all the spaghetti westerns. Yeah, the name um, but, um, not oh, Bud something. Bud Spencer. Bud yeah, Spencer. yeah looks like Bud Spencer. Bud Spencer. And he had his curly racine hair. And his cousin, when he was a young boy, used to use him as a sex toy. Jesus. He, and he That's told... He was, very well connected. was he... Female cousin. Oh, his female cousin. He, used, he, he, got, he got his start in life setting fire in a boat at anchor in Marseille Harbor. And then running out with his private fire boat and putting the fire out and claiming himself. So, Good work if you can get it. Guys. Yeah, and he was great. He also owned a uh, a spy shop called CIA KGME Limited. So, you know, listening devices and little cameras and gets stopped on the other side of the Algerian airport. Because and this is what he's wearing. Wearing a pair of cowboy boots that are like lawyer skin or something. You know, the lizard, some kind of skin and that black pants black shirt aluminum colored uh, tie and uh, and and sports jacket and he comes out and he goes why did they always pick me up <laughs> and then he tells the customs guy and he he oh, yeah. deals in electronic right and the customs guy opens his briefcase and it's completely full of brochures of machine guns machine guns artillery and, features, the, and the custom guy's looking at this monster in his silver LeMay sport coat and he's like um electronics and he, and carlos is like well they have electronic parts you know <laughs> <laughs> That's the best part of doing it, is the people. Oh, the people you meet. It's amazing. We've met some just absolutely unbelievable people around the world. Can uh, can you guys tell us about Bosnia? Yeah, well, that was my bright idea. I dragged him into it. I was watching television, and they were showing the market in downtown Sarajevo getting mortared back oh. in about 1995, I guess. I yeah. I have some of the hard time putting the timeline of my notes because so many things happen. We're losing you. We're losing you, Jeff. So that's because he's mumbling. Yeah, well, that, yeah, that was mostly because I was mumbling. <laughs> but anyway, I'm watching it and I'm thinking to myself, this doesn't look like that hard of a problem to solve. Why don't they just get some commando teams to go up in those hills and, you know, Dispatch some of those mortar teams. <laughs> it wouldn't be that difficult. So I knew this um, very wealthy Saudi who I'd gotten to know when I was at Desert Storm, and I'd actually helped him bring a quad 
Russian anti-aircraft gun back to Riyadh and put on the roof of his house? Why not? <laughs> yeah. So man room. We, yeah. Got in touch with him, and I got in touch with this Korean guy who was always good to put the arm on for a few bucks, you know. And I got $25,000 and an agreement from the Saudi to introduce me to all the right people. So we wound up going over to Riyadh. And the, the guy's father, the guy that I knew's father, knew a, was a somewhat of an Islamic scholar, whatever they, you know, a Quranic memorizer, whatever it is. And he knew a... Quranic scholar who was over in Jeddah, who was from Sarajevo, from the Bosnian Muslim community. Mm -hmm. So we we hopped over to Jeddah and we met with him and he loved the idea. So he took us to Istanbul. So we get to Istanbul and we go into this dodgy neighborhood right out of a movie, you know, the Kasbah. <laughs> you know, you kept expecting... Uh, Pepe Lamoco to step out of the doorway. <laughs> and we, we wander through these little streets and we go into this building and out onto this balcony and this doctor is there, heavy set Sudanese doctor, who is apparently the best friend of a president, it's a Begovich of Bosnia. And is coordinating all the logistics, most of which are coming from Iran at that point. Oh, yeah. So this, this Bosnian Islamic scholar from Saudi Arabia takes us up there and introduces us. And this doc, I, I know this doctor was looking at him going, you stupid little twerp. One of these great old ones. Drag these freaking CIA agents in Yeah. Yeah. Anything. <laughs> you work for the CIA. Right. No, 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 we don't. No way. No, they don't even like us. Uh, we believe that you work for them. Well, we don't. Well, we think you do. Well, we don't. Well, we think you do. So this goes on for a while. <laughs> so they said, you're, you're going to go have to wait, and we're going to have to discuss this with the Ministry of Defense in Bosnia and decide whether we're going to let you go there. So we spent eight days in Istanbul just screwing around. They got this bar there. I don't know if it's still there, but it was right at where the international bridge went across on the European side called the Zuni Bar. And the Zuni Bar was like being at a Victoria's Secrets after party every night. It was unbelievable. So we're going to the Tokopi Museum and we're going down to the big underground souk and buying spices. And, uh, you know, we're enjoying it pretty much. And these Turkish intelligence people come and question us, you know, well, what is your religion? Uh, kind of Christian, I guess. Not really, very much. Reformed Druid. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you want to help? Uh, well, it just seemed like a good thing to do. You know, we saw these women and children getting killed by mortar rounds, and we thought, hey, let's go do something about that. So finally, after eight days, they tell us we can go. So we flew from Istanbul to Marseille. One other incident. Miller offered to get a letter from the 
CIA oh, yeah. saying that we didn't work for them. <laughs> that when we get a letter from the CIA that we don't work for them, we accept that. Yeah. That kind of threw him in his They so, went over in a corner and went, butted heads together. And, well, what do you think? So we flew to Marseille, we got on a train, and we went to Venice. We got off in Venice, and we had a big, fancy lobster dinner, you know, figuring like we were the condemned men. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and then we got on the train in Venice, and we went to Trieste, and then we went through Slovenia at night. These giant Slovenian people. Let me tell you, from what I saw, Melania Trump is not representative of the female Slovenian Ooh. population in any way. Uh, unless she was one-third of one <laughs> <laughs> so and then we, we get the most amazing coffee. Yeah, the most amazing we coffee. Bus and we go to some little outpost outside Sarajevo with a bunch of drunk teenagers with AK 47s wandering around, coming back off leave or whatever they were doing. And then we rented a Volkswagen Jetta with a driver to drive us over the dirt roads because all the major highways were cut by the Serbs. So we had to drive up in the mountains on dirt roads and down the other side. And uh, we get this, uh, just as we're leaving, this Bosnian psychiatrist who was attending a medical conference in Paris shows up and gets in the car with us. And, which was great because he's... This, this is one of those... And, which was great because he's... This, this is one of those poor tens you were talking yeah. about. Yeah. It, you, and, and, and we went up over the mountains and we got in the middle of the night to the wrong side of Sarajevo and he dropped us off with a taxi driver who took us to the underground tunnel that went under the airport into Sarajevo but they wouldn't let us go through because we didn't have a stamp from the chief of police so we had a cab driver took us home and made up a spare room in his house and we slept there that night and we, next, we, we spooned. The next day we got into Sarajevo. It was and, cold. And we met the, the deputy minister of defense and we went to the Hotel Bosnia and we got drunk with Jackie Shemansky from CNN and a bunch of Norwegian air traffic control. And it was, yeah, it goes on from there. <laughs> how, did, how did you get like the introductions to the uh, uh, Secretary of Defense for the, the like, did did you just basically show up and go, hey, this is who we are and this is what we're doing? Yeah, and this is how much money we can provide. That's what opens the door. Right. Yeah, we have a commitment for $2 million from Saudis and um, people from the United Arab Emirates to put together this commando school for you guys to teach you how to deal with these mortar problems. And uh, the $2 million is what opens the door. Sure. And the connection. Yeah. And the what? It, the connection. The guy, connection. The guy that brings you in. Yeah. yeah. Already, Who is he? What kind of juice does he have in the country? Right. Yeah, we, we'd, we'd already been, obviously, they'd already contacted him about us when we were loafing around his time. I think it was the letter that we were going to get from the CIA saying did, we didn't work. Did, now, did you get that letter or no? Did they not require that no, letter? No, we uh, they weren't interested they, in the They didn't want it. They, they, they got to look at it like yeah, okay. I think they suspected yeah. it might be a forgery. Uh, really, a letter from the CIA saying you don't work for them that would would yeah. be completely legit. Do it back in a hotel room in about twenty minutes. <laughs> right, right. Got the rubber stamps and the wax, right? And, you know, secret ring. <laughs> you know, we're we're in. 
you know, you mentioned like the State Department, you mentioned the CIA, things like that. Did during your travels, did did these agencies ever approach you to a figure out what you, what you were doing, b tell you not to do it, c try to provide support, any anything like that? Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, and like Forrest Gump, well, that's about all I have to say about that. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. That's that's easy enough. Definitely, uh, it wasn't to give us support. No, and it wasn't to give us a fucking no, job opportunity. I just inferred on that list that you read. Yeah, yeah, you're about to step on some toes here. You don't want to step on. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. <laughs> Jeff. Yeah. When we went to get the guy out of China, we got some advanced briefings from some Americans. So, uh, you got a guy out of China. What to do and what not to do. So, before we get to China, because now we want to hear this, what what happened? Did you guys set up the commando course? Did that go down? What? Excuse me? I, I said, before we get to China, because we definitely want to hear about that. What, how did this, how did the whole uh, commando course, how did that resolve? Did you guys? It, 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 we got on the elevator to go up to see the Minister of Defense. I remember this guy. And there's a guy on the elevator, and we're looking at this guy looks really familiar. I've seen him somewhere before, but couldn't make the connection. So after we got off, he made a left and went into Ali Isabegovich's office. And the, we made a right to go down to the Minister of Defense. And we were talking to him. And we're like, who is that? That guy looks so familiar. Who is he? Well, who he was, he was Clinton's um, envoy. I can't think of his name right now. I thought it was Hal Holbrook, but it's something like that. Uh, well, I, I think it was Holbrook. Yeah. Something Holbrook. Yeah, he was the governor anyway, of Mexico. No and... They're, the next thing, everybody's all excited and we're all flying off to Dayton, Ohio to sign some kind of a peace agreement. And we're like, well, that sucks. Filthy <laughs> <laughs> lying bastard. Peace isn't going to do us any good. Nobody, nobody makes nope. money Yeah, when there's a peace treaty. We wound up just going home. Fucked up a perfectly good war, Jeff. Yeah, They, they did. Well, it's always good. If you can get paid to do this kind of work and then it falls apart, then you don't feel bad. Right. When you take it on the fling and you spend it some money of your own and it turns bad is when that's when you look back on yourself and go, Did I shave you this morning? Why didn't I cut your throat? <laughs> I shaved my balls yeah, so for we this. Just, we just went home and <laughs> the whole thing. So what what's so what's what's the story on grabbing a guy up out of China? That's pretty wild. Um the guy in China was this is something I didn't know at the time, and I don't think many people know. If you are sued by a Chinese company and you are in China, you cannot leave until that suit is settled. Period. They won't give you an exit visa. You can still have, you keep your passport. Keep your passport. You can and you're free to go anywhere in China. That's a cool thing. You try and leave. So this guy got sued. He was a manufacturer. He was building stuff in China. He got sued for $150,000, and he wouldn't pay any. He went to China because he was in the States, and he went to China to settle the suit. 
So he went to court and everything, and he lost because he wasn't Chinese, obviously. And he wanted to pay in the $150,000, and then he was going to go to the airport and go home. Well, the guy that had just gotten his $150,000 went in and filed a lawsuit for a half a million. And when he got to the airport, they said, sorry, you can't go. So his accountant actually approached me. And because I, because at one time in the distant smoky past, she'd been my accountant. She said, you still do the kind oh, of really? Yeah. You still do the kind of stuff you used to do? And I said, well, if the money's right, you know, whatever. And she said, well, here's what happened. One of my clients is in China. They won't let him leave. And I'd like you to talk to his wife. So I went and talked to his wife. And there we go on another one. These things just happen that way. They evolve. They evolve. Usually without a 410. Yeah. Without one? Without a portrayal. But you, you had your, you had your, yeah, you had your major like portent though, the way you met. So I, I think yeah. anything along the way would just be minor. Yeah, well, it's, it's you can tell he's a weapons. Yeah, it's really <laughs> strange that two people with such similarly unconventional outlooks on life wind up meeting each other as friends. Yeah, I mean, friends that are as twisted as you, they're yeah. priceless. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, honestly, have, I mean, I would be, you know, you never know what's ha what would happen, but would you, would you guys have, in, had you not met and sort of came up with this idea to start training these companies, would you have embarked on these types of things solo? You know, if you hadn't had each other, would you had such a, you know, an adventure filled life? Maybe. Well, neither one, neither one of us are a Marshenko or an Eric Prince. I mean, I, I don't want to be in the news being a, Mercenary free captain of the only private military company in the world. You don't want to be on the cover of Soldier of Fortune, Nick? No, and I, you know, I, I really don't want all this. Uh, in fact, this is too much advertisement out on the open wire. But we're old now. But we're we, old. Well, a life sentence is no longer that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I never would have done this 25 years ago. Right, right. Yeah. 25 years ago, we've been all over you. Yeah. Been doing those, you know, those. You know, those uh, manly looking pictures of guys with guns. Yeah. And the brown leather bikini in it. Yeah. Look at this baby. It's, yeah. it, it's uh, alpha male. In the real world out there, maybe twice we were wearing BDUs and carrying automatic weapons. Three times. Three times. Okay. Yeah, over a period of 40 years. Yeah. I mean, most of the stuff is done up here. You gotta, you gotta outthink the opposition. Yeah, you're a problem you're, solver. You're, you're, not, you're not going to defeat them in open combat. It right. Doesn't work that way, life is not unless a you're with somebody that has that authority to actually engage. Yeah. You know, like the Mexican State Police or yeah. the, you know, the 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 second battalion of the of the 486th Infantry for Nigeria or something like that. Right. You know, it's, uh, it depends on, you're not going to be pulled out of it. You have a piece for your own personal protection. Great. I mean, I, I don't go into a country where I'm in a dangerous situation where I don't make arrangements for somebody to have extra guns on them in case I need them. Right. But like then we did the kidnapping thing in Mexico. The state policeman brought along four extra guns. Right. Machine guns. 
But a lot of times that's for your own personal protection in these sort of uh, wildlands or whatever, more than for actions on the objective, like we're doing a direct action assault and we're going to, you know, we're going to lay down some scunion and smoke some dudes. Well, we have claimed that the, the, the Algerian father had a picture of his, in his mind of the rat patrol. Yeah. Thinking that we were going to come driving out of the desert into this little town on jeeps with 50 caliber Which machines. I actually voted for. Right? <laughs> I, I knew where to get the equipment yeah. out of Egypt. <laughs> no, 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 no. So that, there's I, not going to be any 50 caliber machine guns. What you want to do is get the opposition force, invite them, you know, unknown, unbeknownst to them, to a restaurant, give them a big feed and douse everything with IZ. Yeah. You won't have to worry about the food. You, you, Nick, can you can you kind of back up and re, or center up and repeat that? You said what you want to do is get the opposition force in a restaurant, and then you know pay for their meal, give them a banquet, but douse everything with visine. Right, right. Which I've heard they've changed the formula of visine, and that doesn't work anymore. Oh well, really? Well, we'll for, you know, yeah. I'll get some potassium perchlorate. I, I, I just know, and do the same thing, except it'll turn your piss orange. I, I just Sorry. wanted to say that for anybody in the audience. Yeah. My meds are wearing off. So how how did you get the guy out of China, though? You know, you the fishing uh, boat to the Matsu Islands, and then on an airplane to Taiwan, and then because he went to the embassy and told him he needed a new passport. Uh, and and the U.S. State Department squealed on him to the Taiwanese authorities. Smuggled him a third time to the Philippines. That he was an illegal immigrant. Yeah. So, now, that isn't ironic, or some sort of <laughs> Jeff. We lost a weird celestial bullshit there. Jeff, I'm so sorry to do this to you, but we lost you a little bit during that. But so okay. when you got him out, like, did you? So was he under surveillance while he was in the country? I didn't see. He what? I'm sure he wasn't because we had what we did one more. We still don't have we you. We went to a little fishing village near the town of Fuju, and we got him on a fishing boat, which was a whole thing because we arranged it once and it fell through, and then we had to start over. Got him. Uh, we'd set up a safe house on the on one of the Matsu Islands, and um, got him over there to the safe house, and then we just flew him commercial back to the main island of Taiwan where he looked at the U.S. Embassy and the State Department turned him into the cops for being an illegal alien. That's how helpful the U.S. State Department is. And then we got him on a medical flight, wrapped him in bandages and pulled him to play dead and got him on a medical flight to Manila. To Manila? And then from there back to Los Angeles. Did, did. Yeah, it's it's amazing because he went to the embassy and all he needed was travel documents because he did not have an exit visa from China. Right. Okay. So he went to the embassy and the embassy, oh, woof, 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 this. You came in illegally, woof, woof. We used some other networking and that went to the Nigerian embassy. Not only were the Nigerians willing to give him travel papers, they were willing him to give him a passport and swear that he was one of their relatives. <laughs> That's amazing. For a nominal fee. Right. For, for less than what we had to spend on getting him away from the airport. <laughs> There's always a market for those kind of documents. And it changes constantly. It's very fluid. I have no idea. 
I have no idea what it is today because I'm not paying much attention anymore. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. But that was a time back in uh, oh, late 1990s, early 2000s, that the daughter of the president of Mozambique was selling passports, you know, like tickets to a Lakers game. You could just go, you could just, everybody could become a Mozambican if you wanted to. And it wasn't even very expensive. So there's always this sort of black market going on. You just have to figure out where mm-hmm. where it is and whether the passport in question would really be a realistic right. fit yeah. with the person and all that. You want an exit stamp on your on your uh, or an entrance stamp on your uh, on your passport. Right. You came in by cab over the mountains, so you didn't pass through the troll. So you go find the nearest American tourist. Buy him some drinks, have a good time, slip his passport out, order a hot, hot, hard-boiled egg, peel it, take the hard-boiled egg, roll it onto his stamp, and then go over and roll it right back onto yours. Unless they're really looking at it, it's it's all the way down to the right color ink, the signature, the little initial they put in the center, all that. I mean, it's a simple trick, something like that. Or you got to get a full paper. How do I get, you know, a passport? Well, there's certain circles you have to travel. Most of them are Democrats, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and if you have a little time in advance, and we often did, you, we, we had a studio in Laguna Beach, California. That yep. any famous rubber stamp that went down the toilet. Yeah. Yes. I, I, when the first time I went to China, I had a Chinese visa stamp in my left shoe and a Taiwanese visa stamp in my right shoe. And let me tell you, when you're standing in line for customs, one side of your brain is going, oh, well, there's no chance they're going to strip search me. I mean, nobody's going to find something that's inside my sock, inside my shoe, under my foot. But what if they do? Yeah. And your brain is telling you. That's when you become penguiny. That's when you discover if you've got any nuts or not. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Right. Because because your mind is just telling you one once you're having a fight in your own mind. Mm-hmm. Inside is trying to be logical. What are the I mean there's a, there's thirty five people in this line getting off the ferry from Kinman Island. What are the odds that they're gonna want to strip search me? Right. Yeah, but what if they do? Right. <laughs> right. Or if you're in the line and you're trying to figure out whether you could dump the hand grenade you still have into the trash can before you get to the amnesty box. You don't want to do- drop it in the amnesty box, but if you drop it in the trash can, is it going to make a loud noise like, huh, I'm a grenade? You know, so. can, can you distract a member of our own TSA enough that five weapons... Can go through his little X-ray thing. I'm not going to say who or when or where. Five weapons went through his little X-ray machine, all of which were clearly visible, but which he never looked around to see because we were so entertaining. How about those cubs? (laughs) Yeah, seen those cubs lately? Actually, that's that we had to leave that out because of the circumstances of it, but it happened. Yeah, Gents, why don't you uh, walk us through, I think you had mentioned, Jeff, uh, 
Walk us through, you know, the the summary, the synopsis of this book, Vagabonds, that is out now on Kindle. It's going to be out in, in, in the hardback. Read me the chapter title, and I'll give you a two sentence synopsis. Oh, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to bring that up. Uh, oh, you know, they're sitting the chapters. Yeah, because this cord runs over to the edge of the table. See that? Yep. Stinkers. Yeah, I can reach out and. Oh yeah, we we can give each other handies under the table while we're live streaming. It's amazing. Can we? Do? We already have. Can do you know? Uh, so, oh, what are we doing for supper today? Yeah, the okay. first chapter is called Birth. "Sometimes a Great Notion." I remember that. Yeah, "Birth of a Notion." Uh, yeah, "Birth of a Notion." Yeah, there That's are basically about us getting out and trying to figure out what to do and getting our first um, law enforcement law enforcement contract with the International Association of Chiefs of Police. And then, which was the first thing that we did right after the service. That's what that chapter's about. Uh, and then there are carpetbaggers in our soup. Yeah, well, that's, uh, we got hooked up with a kind of a con man from Vegas who, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who um, had a lot of stories about companies that he owned and, and, and merged with us. And remember, there is no ego in business. And wound, wound, wound up leaving us with a $1,100 bar bill at our favorite salute and a $25,000 debt to the mob. <laughs> Holy shit. Amazing. Well, I, I, yeah. uh, I want to ask you how you resolve that, but I also want people to read the to book. Read your book. Yeah, well, they um, read the book and read the book. Read the book. Looking for point, read the book. Yes. Looking for high tech in all the low places. Looking for a research and development company that was given some of the most interesting. Can you start that over? So we went to work for a little research and development company after the uh, after the con man left us flat. They hired us uh, doing a lot of really cutting edge high-tech stuff and uh, we did a little world travel with them we went to france and we went to malaysia and we went to taiwan and, and berlin and berlin and we did a lot of interesting things with that company you went to berlin uh when the wall was still up yeah there's a whole chapter about that yeah, later yeah. on so very famous uh, bordello mentioned in there you might want to pay attention to that <laughs> particularly a couple of paragraphs i I definitely will. Um, and for those of you who are kind of young, there actually used to be a wall in Germany that separated oh, East yeah. Germany from West Germany. Oh, yeah. It was, it was the anti-fascist rampart uh, put up by East Germany. Yeah. Um, uh, remake of the Wild Bunch. Oh, that's, um, that's the first half. That's Bustamante. That's the Thanks. first half of a two-chapter thing about a huge training. At that point, the biggest one we'd ever done, uh, about $800,000, training the, the security staff and bodyguards for the World Trade Center of Mexico City. Wow. And we did it in two parts. So that chapter is about the part that was down in Mexico. And then the next chapter after that, Assassins on the Hotel Roof, 
is about when we brought 50 of them up to San Bernardino, California to do the second half of the tournament. The advanced course. Yeah. Uh, send lawyers, guns, and money. I'm not sure what the uh, Oh, that's a, that's the Jim, uh, I won't use his name, the banker. Oh, yeah, the banker. Yeah, I go to the yeah. Philippines, and Nick goes to Europe, both working with the same rather deranged banker. The uh, Yakuza, the gentleman with the missing digits and the pet tattoos, <laughs> are involved in this. They had a... A bank instrument that was drawn on a Japanese bank using Zanichi Norin um, assets. Zanichi Norin are those gentlemen with the tattoos and the missing digits. And they own all the rice all over Japan. So it's a $200 million bank instrument, and we have to recover it. Holy shit. And, wow. and at the same time, the guy wants to find Yamashita's gold in the Philippines. So okay. I go to the Philippines. That, that's why I sent him. <laughs> because I understand Swiss banks, you know, and the normal protocol on that. But if you're going to go upriver in a Parang looking for somebody that just showed you 50 ounces of gold, yeah, you need younger people that have more stamina than I have. <laughs> Oh man, I, yeah, I got to read it. I read a whole book about Yamashita's gold. I mean, it's a fascinating story. Oh god, and it's still I was, on TV. I was immersed in it, and it is completely nuts what's going on. There's a whole industry in the Philippines, oh, yeah, of pretending to know where now. Right, yeah, right, read, right. Read, read your chapter; you'll find yeah, it. You know, like, okay, what, was it with a head in a duffel bag at the end? Was it the original uh, Nigerian prince scam, in a way? Oh, no, no, no. The, thing in, the thing in Germany, recovering the financial instrument, which was an international <coughs> bill of trade, involved uh, some very interesting fellows that I've known before, and uh, the Russian mob, and um, uh, very wealthy people in Austria and Germany that owned a Ferrari dealership and that, but uh, very and a Swiss banker who's the most amoral man I've ever met in my life. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, this guy was someday, like I said in the chapter, I dream of being behind his house on the hill. Real, real scumbag. Shite. You guys have to read this book. I mean, honestly, I mean, I I know that both Jack and I will. Um, and we would have had we known it was it was out already. We thought it was getting released uh, soon. Um, Ishtar and other bad plots. That's um, Desert Storm. That's uh, about first Gulf War. The first, you know, the first Gulf War, Desert Storm. <coughs> I got uh, activated. Went back in the army. Oh no, he went back because somebody had to have an ID card. Yeah. That, that was his plan. That's what they joined the reserves and got activated. Got his we, we, we discovered that we had access to an intelligence um, source. source that went all the way to the Iraqi hey, you discovered that you had access to an intelligence source? Went all the way to the Iraqi general staff. Okay. So I came back to the States to try to sell it. Which wasn't easy. You think, hey, we're going to war with these people, and I have an intelligence source right into their general staff, and people say, who the hell are you? 
<laughs> Have you been cleared by Simpaco Pro? Well, we finally found the right guy. But he told me this would be much easier for me if somebody had a military ID card. So I said, I'll go back. So I re-enlisted and uh, went to the 12th Special Forces Group Reserves and then shuttled myself off to Desert Storm. How do you look larger than me? I am larger than you. <laughs> <laughs> it's an optical illusion. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'll lean back now. You lean forward now. You'll look. There you now, go. There when, you go. When sure you overwhelms everything. When you I went in, I think it just ate a bunch. I had to turn the air conditioning up because it's actually on fire. <laughs> when uh, when you went into the reserve, did you have any idea that you would actually get called up and have to go do the army thing again? Um, no, not really. I, we, was, if, I, I had been called. I knew where I would go. If we can make an Interpol warrant disappear, what makes you think he was going back to be a supply clerk in Fort, Fort Lewis? Right. Oh, I don't. Follow us, will you? Take notes. I, 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 uh, yeah, I, I'm having a hard time keeping up, but, you know, I'm doing it. <laughs> so are we, actually. <laughs> um, Tiny hostages in Maghreb. We talked about that. That's the first half of Algeria. And running for our lives across the rim of Africa is the second half of Algeria. Poncho and Lefty? That's the first Mexican kidnapping recovery. Okay. And is that the one where you worked with the government forces? Well, yeah. Anytime you do anything in Mexico, if you're working on your own, you're stupid. And your life is going to end up you know, somebody's going to uncover your body when they start digging a new freeway. Yeah. Well, if you're working in Mexico, you better find yourself a way to work with the police. That means you have to vet the police. I was very fortunate for us that my padrino, my godfather, is uh, the senior partner in the most prestigious law firm in Mexico. So, I mean, he does, uh, put it this way. He's had kidnap cases where when the kidnapper found out he was involved, they brought the victim back. That I mean, that's the kind of reputation he has. I mean, he only services the Lebanese and the Sephardic Jewish community and the very upper 1% of the economic sector. So that that's who I got my clients from, was basically from my partner down there. And we always had the backup from the Padrino. Don't do anything in Mexico stupidly. Carrying guns, you know, getting involved with explosives. Yeah, like old uh, Dog the Bounty Hunter. do a Ross Perot raid or anything like that. You've got to plan it out. You have to find the right people to work with. And then follow their plan. All you are there for, because the way it rains this, is uh, we had the technology that could, we could track the money. Uh-huh. Anybody that touched the money... Wherever it was at, we could go find it. And we could find it at night, like a bloodhound. So in that regard, we are a contractor. So under kidnap and risk insurance, you know, you don't, uh, the the insurance company doesn't give you $30 million. They allow you to raise $30 million and pay the ransom, and then they reimburse you if you follow the rules. And if you're not involved with the police, you have broken the rules. 
Okay. So, you know, that's that's kind of your guideline. So yeah. That's what happened. That's what happened with them. We um, uh, we did uh, recoveries uh, using uh, state police units in three different locations. They were all special units formed up for anti-kidnapping. Really, truly brave men who get paid really squat for what they do. Yeah. Now, now they pay for their own gas. They pay for their own bullets. And they pay for their own hotel rooms when they're on stakeout. That's amazing. I, I think so, if you ask people in America to pay for their own ammun, ammun, you know, bullets, you, you wouldn't have too many. Well, it, it's, 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 common, it's common for the victim's family to give them a tip. A yeah. Porfino, you know, that's, you know, decided between them and, and uh, police commander. But that's, they put that in a slush fund, which they use for that and other cases. Yeah. And also for the widows and orphans yeah. of the, those men. This is whole thing about two sentences for each chapter went right out going on no it's it's fat no it's fascinating you know how the different countries handle it you know I, you know because I think we take so much for granted here in America that even as kind of broken sometimes as our you know system is the the idea that you know that these police officers these highly trained police officers that focus on kidnapping Part of their living comes from tips. You know the whole. No, I, no, 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 no. Oh. Don't go down that road. That's okay, not true. Oh, okay. Right. That the, the tips true. just go into the slush fund. They they get their stipend and their salary from the state government. Okay. But at times, when the family does feel that they should do something for them, there's an apparatus there for it, and it's very tightly controlled. Okay. And it's not like they give the commander couple hundred thousand pesos right doesn't work like that okay thank you for clarifying that um um poncho let's see by the dawn's early light that's the second mexican kidnapping operation who who thought of these titles just out of curiosity because they're great chapter titles both of us yeah you thought Uh, of some i thought of some nigeria with snow bosnia by bus nigeria with snow (laughs) That's the for our first uh, the first serious interface with the Russians. Yeah, starts with Russians in America and ends up with us in Russia and Kazakhstan. In Kazakhstan, fascinating. Well, they, into it Kazakhstan. Into the Hindu Kush with the Beast of the Baskervilles. That's more, that's more than us. Actually, when we're we're on our way to Kazakhstan and we have a plane crash, oh. we live out on the Siberian tundra with the Cossacks for a little while before they get the plane. Back. The plane, well, it's not a plane crash. The plane has a malfunction; it has to make an emergency landing. We we talk. Uh, you told us this whole story in the bonus segment we did for the last episode. Yeah, right, right. Um, so you guys can go and check that out for oh, the people right. who are Patreon supporters. That's right. That was yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Uh, and anybody yeah, who hasn't chapter. anybody who hasn't flown one of those airlines before, I mean, you guys can attest to this. Like, you have people bringing livestock on. Uh, oh. I mean, just. Everything is on this plane when you're flying like these, you know, small, 
locally owned or whatever they are. Uh, I, I don't know if it was that, if it was a large plane or a small plane, but it's interesting what you see on these flights sometimes. Oh, yeah. We saw a KGB agent get the shit kicked out of him by a tribe of gypsies <laughs> on, a, on a plane from Moscow to Anchorage once. That is fascinating. All right. they, left the they left the body in a seat with a jacket over him like he was drunk. <laughs> Bosnia by bus, we talked about. The spy who slid in from the cold. That's Berlin. Okay. Uh, Latte on the Spanish main. That's when we tried to start a cruise ship shore excursion in St. Thomas in the Virgin Islands. And it was put out of business. 12 days after it started by 9-11. Oh, shit. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We got everything built. I'm standing on the, on the, the rooftop drinking my latte or whatever. <laughs> the latte <laughs> part is because Pinguini had to have a freaking latte from some girl in Charlotte Amali every single morning. Every single morning. I mean, I was made us about two hours late getting to work. Uh... <laughs> Soaring hopes and soaring temperatures. That's about a big training for the Marine, Marine Corps. Corps. Uh, train uh, about 1,600 Marines for pre-deployment to Iraq right after the whole kerfluffle got started. Mm -hmm. uh, Port-au-Prince is dying. That's a Haiti earthquake. Oh, shit. And oh, you yeah, we were there. Yeah. Yes. I became the most hated man in Christendom <laughs> because I called Madam Secretary a waste of flesh. You mean uh, Hillary? Yes, that would be the no, one. These kids aren't as stupid as they look. <laughs> I am. Uh, on the road to Mandalay. That's me going. Me and Penguini went to Burma to train the Karen National Liberation <laughs> Army. And the second half of the chapter is mostly me staggering around Chiang Mai, Thailand with a nearly fatal dose of dengue fever. Holy shit, man. You guys were everywhere. Yeah. Uh, t Terry and some very odd pirates. Uh, that is me. That is uh, the, the spider woman and a guy that used to be in the 10th group and a Norwegian billionaire and some other people trying to start a counter-piracy operation in the um, Indian Ocean off the coast of Somalia. Wow. Okay. Never really got up and going, but it was an interesting... What, is, there, is there a particular reason why it didn't get up and... I mean, you don't have to go into the whole story, because, again, we do well, want Because people everybody got pissed off at each other, and... Egos. Egos, yeah. Egos. It's a ruins most of them. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, the Heart of Darkness. Uh, that's the first half of Africa. That starts in, in Guinea. I think we mentioned when we were doing that special before about how we were once accused of overthrowing the government of Guinea. Yeah. It starts there and, um, and gets into some other African stuff. And the Lost Empire of Prester John. More Africa. More That's Africa. when Nick got this place up in Ethiopia and uh, had a pet hippopotamus or something. I don't know. 
had a <laughs> say that one more time. Had a what? A pet hippopotamus. hippopotamus. Who wouldn't what's have so strange it? about that? No, it's not. Who you wouldn't have a ranger battalion? So who, what's strange about me having a hippo? No, who would not have a pet hippo, hippopotamus exactly. given given the opportunity? Exactly. Sounds yeah. legit. Uh, man, so you guys were all over the world, man, getting into trouble. This is awesome. Uh, three quarters of a century old, for God's sake. <laughs> Eventually, you'll have this kind of history. You, yeah, I don't think any. I don't think anyone. I don't think anyone's going to have quite this kind of history. Yeah, no. you guys did some pretty uh, unique jobs. When I'm 75, I'll be talking about the podcast that I was on for the last 25, 35 years. years. Yeah, we tell you back back in 2021. It was rough. We had technical it's, it's, issues. It's not too late. We know about some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what blood type are you? You don't want to be a B positive? No, a positive. sir. A, I'm AB positive. Lion little shits. Oh, well, no, I'm O. Maybe, 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 we, with everybody. maybe we save that for the bonus segment if you guys are game for it. Talk about where, what, you're, what you're up to now. Um, as long as we can pee first. Of yes. course you can. Of course you can. Yeah, guys. Pee. We haven't eaten yet. We'll, we'll, we'll wrap this thing up, gents. Uh, next episode is going to be, uh, if everything goes according to plan, Peter McAuley's. I got to get comms back up with him, but he served in the British SAS, Rhodesian SAS, Pathfinder in South Africa. He was a mercenary in Angola, and then he was also hired to go assassinate Pablo Escobar. So I'm hoping that I can reestablish comms with Peter. Uh, I got a, uh, a great Rhodesian story that didn't make it into the book. You you have a one more time, Jeff. A great Rhodesia story that didn't make it into the book. All right, maybe, maybe on the on the bonus segment we'll I hit we'll hit it. Know the Colombian general tracked down Pablo and killed him. There we go. We got to hear it. So, but we'll we'll do it on the on the next segment. Yeah. Did out of curiosity, you guys had this this reputation within maybe a small community or whatever for for going out and conducting these these types of operations. Did anybody ever approach you for things that were maybe say on the shadier side? Like they're like, oh, these guys, these guys will are game for whatever. They'll do whatever. Um, yeah, well, we're not. Right, right. No, I, and I, I believe there, that there are certain lines we won't cross. But we'll bend the law, sure, we won't necessarily break. It. And we definitely will let the U.S. Oh yeah, yeah, like doing. Kidnap recoveries in the United States, you don't do that. Yeah. That's the FBI. That's yeah. their venue. They get very upset, very bitchy about things like that. Yeah. Uh, and now, are you saying this from experience? Yeah, I mean, we we had things that came to us well, in the States, and then we said, hey, man, call the, fucking, call the FBI, man. That's yeah. their job. That's what they're getting paid for. I got yeah. an FBI jacket with a code name. Stop. Um, we have a. I think we have one question, one viewer. Oh question. yeah, I think so. Um, let me scroll up to it. Uh, Anthony S, thank you very much. With Nick's interest in like uh, Nazi stuff or that historical period, what kind of stories did he shake out of the SS connections? I know he had to investigate if Hitler escaped, right? <laughs> yeah, that, you know that. Actually, I met those those gentlemen through. Uh, I think it was through the Forestry Service in Germany. Most of, them. you know, my my family served. You know, I had two uncles fight in the Wehrmacht. You know, and uh, 
you know, the, the fin, Germany is, is full of connections. And that's how I got to it. I used those connections to do what I was doing for the U.S. military. And in the process, I, uh, I was able to, to establish a relationship with some really unique people. Yeah. And I, I think that like a lot of people don't understand that the like the SS, like the the people who served in World War Two in Germany were very, very anti-communist also. And a lot of them would hop services after World War Two to fight against communism or Russians, or, wherever they could. The Bafin SS was a combat unit. They, they were also used for the death squads in that film, but they, they also they were in the, in the main. They were shot troops. Like the SS Panzer Division, the SS uh, Grenadiers, and that, uh, the different formations, they were used as shock troops to either make an attack, fill a gap in, in, in the defense, et cetera. Then you had the Gestapo, and you know, you know, you know where most of the people from the Gestapo came from? Right. They controlled all of Western Europe and terrorized the world with less than 8,000 members. The Gestapo. Worldwide, there were never more than 8,000 people. Now, they had adjunct units like the, uh, the death squads and that, that were attached to them. That, but 8,000 people, do you know where those people came from, what their profession was before they were drafted into the Gestapo? I think they policemen. Police they were what? They were police officers. In the main, they were uh, detectives and police officers. That's, that's where the Gestapo came from. You know, they got rid of all the guys that didn't feel like they did. Yeah, why not? They knew everybody. They knew how to do criminal investigation. They knew how to do counter, you know, uh, counterintelligence. And that. Because that's what they've been doing. You, know, you, you get your connections where you find them. Yeah. We found connections in Mongolia for spare parts for chipping machines through a rock band. It just happened to be there. You know, they were Mongolia. Have you ever seen Mongolian rock bands? No, sir. No. Uh, the Who band, but it's H U. Yeah. Not to be confused with the British Who, W H O. This is H U. One of the best rock bands ever. Oh, yeah. The Who band? I'm going uh, to. Their best song is called Wolf Totem. Jim G says uh, we need to get you guys a decent mic and then have you come back to tell some more stories. I I, I agree. We'll have to FedEx you a uh, a microphone some at some point. Um, or we can pick a really expensive bar and everybody can get together and buy us drinks. Yeah, <laughs> even better. I I'm down for that. So guys, uh, go and check out Vagabonds. It's up on Amazon right now. You can go get it for your Kindle. And if you want a hard copy, it's going to be out later this month. Um, Jim, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us tonight, telling some of these stories, man. I really appreciate it, you guys. Did you just call me Jim? Yeah, but he was going off the last comment he just read. So didn't I say uh, Jim and did, I didn't say yeah. I didn't say Jeff yeah. and Nick? Sorry, you can call me. You can call me first base a, 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 after <laughs> you after you said that we're smarter than we look. We go and do this, but no, uh, yeah, but Nick, and Jeff, th thank you so much, guys. Definitely check Good out their time. book. Try and keep your nose clean between now and the next time. Never. Remember, in the immortal words of Barry Goldwater, extremism in the pursuit of liberty is no vice.
tell that to the perfume princes of the Pentagon next time they come around. <laughs> Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 